Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief Washington Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Big, big day, Rick. And by the way, we are going to have a pretty, I think, a pretty significant announcement that'll be of particular interest to Powerhouse Politics uh, listeners after uh, this, this first segment. But for this first segment, on the day of Joe Biden's first don't call it a State of the Union. Addressed to the joint session of Congress, uh, we are going to be going right to the White House. In fact, Rick, why don't we? I think we can go right now. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to go? Let's do it. Okay, let's go right to the White House for our first guest. All right, joining us now in Powerhouse Politics is the White House Press Secretary and longtime friend of the podcast, Jen Saki. Jen, as I look at our records here at the Powerhouse Politics podcast, you were last on this show on August twelfth. Oh, about like five worlds ago. That feels like five worlds ago. It was before I started on the transition. (laughs) Yes, yes. But you are uh, you are here. You're the White House press secretary. We're nearing that 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 100 day mark, which seems um, uh, like like we started counting down to it at about uh, day 12. Um, And obviously we're here on the day of the uh, first ever. A speech to a joint session of Congress by President Biden. So I, I wanted to ask, I, I, I know you've pointed out, uh, and many others as well, that, that this is going to look very different uh, from your typical State of the Union. Obviously, there's only 200 people in the chamber. The First Lady's box is not going to be packed with, uh, with, with interesting and inspiring people that will be referred to during the speech. Uh, there's also you know, the House chamber has a rule, and you've addressed this, uh, that everybody must wear a mask. Because yeah. Pelosi pointed out that that applies to members, not to presidents. Um, and you have said that, uh, that President Biden obviously won't be speaking with his mask on. So my question is just, just in terms of the atmospherics, because having witnessed like all of us, so many of these, many of them in the chamber, that walk in uh, from the rear of the chamber to a crowded fired up room, uh, lots of handshaking, lots of greeting. You have the people that usually line the aisles so they can be the ones that get to shake the president's hand, all of that. I mean, a lot of that will look much different, but will will President Biden be wearing a mask as he enters the chamber? And, and does he shake people's hands as he goes down? Or what, what, what does that look like? Sure is going to, I mean, we are all political nerds here. No offense. I, I, that's meant to be a compliment. And so we've all watched so many of these state of the unions and joint addresses and know uh, what it looks like and feels like. And this will feel so different uh, to your point. He will do the walk down the center aisle, which is definitely a part of the tradition. And people are used to seeing those aisles filled. It's not just members of Congress. It's they're bringing their guests. And sometimes those are people who were advocates for gun safety or health care or women's rights or whatever it may be. That's not going to be a part of that, uh, of the walk this year. Uh, now, he will be wearing a mask um, while he does that walk. Uh, whether or not he can, sh- he will shake hands. I mean, I've now been working for President Biden for six months, seven months, and uh, he loves uh, the institution of, uh, of the Senate, especially, but Congress in general. He has huge respect for it. Uh, the the plan is not for him to to do a bunch of glad handing as he's walking down, but but we'll just have to see what strikes him in the moment. Maybe we'll see a few elbow bumps. Uh, maybe some right maybe some good go. el- elbow bumps <laughs> and some pointing and 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 you know yeah, and yeah. winking across the aisle. 
and and you mentioned that the first lady's box won't be packed with people. Um, will there be? Will the will the first lady be there? Will she be in her box? Will there be anybody with her at all? Um, the first lady will be there in attendance, as will the second gentleman. That's a first. Um, as will um, the vice president, of course. Um, and you know, and if you look at things that will feel different. The, first, the two people sitting behind the president will be women for the first time in history. Uh, he'll certainly note that uh, as, uh, you know, of course, the Speaker of the House and, and the Vice President. Uh, they will be joining him, but there won't be a box. And this will be a piece that there won't be a box of attendees. And this will be a piece that feels really different to people watching because historically, the, the, the uh, First Lady's box is a place where any president can highlight incredible, inspiring stories. Maybe it's a veteran, maybe it's an advocate, maybe it's a, you know, an inspiring mayor, um, you know, and these are stories that are weaved into the speech. And because of COVID protocols and the limited number of people who will be there, there won't be any people in the box. And therefore there won't be those moments of standing ovations for individuals who are, who are called out in the speech. Yeah. The Lenny Skutniks uh, of the world that are usually up there. So Will they be seated up where the first lady would normally be seated? Is it is she still going to be in that box, but just basically be alone, or is she somewhere else in the chamber? That is a, such a great question. Somebody asked asked me this about twenty minutes ago, and I haven't gotten an answer yet um, in terms of where she physically will be uh, and where the second gentleman physically will be. Um, so I don't have an whole, answer on that. Unfortunately, because the whole thing is the whole thing is strange because you know usually I mean what we're going to be seeing this time is we're going to have members up there. I mean, there'll be senators and members of Congress. Right, because because uh, the anywhere. Speaker's office is taking precautions to make sure people are socially distant. And uh, so there will be members of Congress sitting in places where people, even political nerds like us, are not used to seeing members of Congress sit. Okay, and then and then one more question. I know Rick wants to jump in here, but one more now on just on substance of, of, the, of the speech itself. I, I, I look at what President Biden has done so far leading up to this moment. And obviously this is up this is later in the calendar than, than you would normally have a, a speech to a joint session or, or, or a state of the union. So there's a lot that's already, you know, there's a lot that's already been done. The the uh, you know the biggest being the COVID relief bill. He's got two major proposals going forward. I mean, many proposals, but two really whopping ones uh, in terms of the legislative agenda, uh, the, the infrastructure bill and the American families plan. How how important is this night? How important is this speech in terms of laying out and pushing and trying to build some momentum to what is actually maybe more difficult to accomplish than than, than what you've already done? Actually, I would say maybe definitely more difficult to accomplish than, uh, than, than what the president's been able to do so far. The president would be the first to tell you, if you were sitting here with me in my office, that this is a really important night for him. Uh, he has sat through uh, at several dozen of these speeches. Uh, he knows and recognizes that even as president of the United States with the bully pulpit you have, that there are few opportunities to speak really directly to the American people about the progress you've made, which he certainly will do, uh, given he came in at a time of a crisis and there's been a, a lot of work to get the pandemic under control, uh, but also talk about what his vision is for what uh, what is ahead. And you mentioned, of course, the American Jobs Plan. He's going to lay out uh, the specific details of the American Families Plan, historic investments in education and childcare, things that are really important to people who are hopefully watching at home. Uh, maybe some of the two million women who have left the workforce, uh, maybe people who are struggling to figure out how to send their kids to pre-K to school and not daycare. Uh, you know, th these are issues that really hit people 
uh, hard at home, hit them in their hearts, and he wants to speak directly to them. So he recognizes that, you know, as he looks to the year ahead and he thinks about how to bring the country together, how to how to heal from what was a very traumatic uh, four years for many people, that he, part of that really begins with making the case to the American people. He's done some of that, of course, but tonight is a huge opportunity to do exactly that. Jen, talk about a little bit of how you conceptualize some of the, the framework around this. You know, we, we asked questions in our poll about the size and scope of government. And yeah. we see some movement in terms of what the openness that people seem to have about what government's role is. But is there, a, is there something broader at stake here that the president and, and, and people around him are mindful of about the need to make the case for a bigger government that does more things, that has a more active role in people's lives and a more active role in, in solving problems? Yeah, you know, I think a big part of that for the president is really speaking to issues in a way that's accessible to the people who will be watching, right? You know, he hates acronyms. Uh, He will X them out of every speech, certainly this speech he's going to deliver tonight. Um, But he also recognizes that there are things like, you know, what kind of access to pre-K or universal universal pre-K, universal, um, you know, to education that kids are getting access to. That making the case for that, that making the case for the fact that one third of the country doesn't have access to broadband, that as people are driving to work and trying to travel around, it takes too long. Our roads are broken down. Uh, Kids should have access to clean drinking water. That speaking about things in a way that is really impacting the people who elected him, but even beyond that, all of the people, uh, you know, as someone who wants to govern for the country, uh, you know, he sees it through. That's really his goal and his objective. So. I'm not sure you're not really asking me this, but he's never going to be somebody who talks about how government should be big and we're going to raise your taxes to do it. I mean, one, that would be terrible if that was a line in any president's speech, but he wants to talk about it as the things we can do for you. How can we help you? How can we help you get back to work? How can we help your kids? How can we ensure there are industries of the future that your kids can work in and your communities can thrive around? And, um, you know, that's really his goal. And he's always testing us, or at least maybe me, because I do a lot of speaking, say a lot of words publicly around here, is on how I'm explaining things. Um, and that's a big focus for him, how he is projecting to the public how government can work for them. What are the programs that help them? How can he make their lives better? Texting out acronyms. I love that. It's a great, it's a great detail. And, and, and Jen, you, you mentioned a moment ago uh, the possibility of, uh, of winking across the aisle. I don't think you meant it in this way, but I'm curious about the across the aisle uh, parts yeah, of didn't. the speech. It had uh, many meanings. Many meanings. Well, so it, it, will there be more than winks across the aisle? I mean, it, you, you've talked a lot in recent days about the president's openness to to bipartisan compromise, but a insistence on on progress. But what's the message that he feels like he needs to deliver at this moment, specifically to Republicans in the chamber and at home? You know, I think it's a little bit different from in the chamber and at home. You know, obviously in your polls, and you already touched on this, you, you know how popular things like rebuilding our nation's infrastructure, uh, you know, making sure there's access to broadband, and even things like ensuring kids have access to universal um, preschool. I mean, those are popular among the American public, and people don't look at those proposals and evaluate them through whether they're a Republican or an independent or a Democrat. I mean, all people with every political party have kids. Every political party have crappy roads in their communities, right? Um, 
But, you know, so that's a little bit different for the broad American public. He's going to send a clear message. Uh, you know, he's not somebody who's going to launch attacks. Uh, he's also not going to have a series of tweets overnight after his speech attacking any members who were in the chamber, regardless of what happens. Uh, he's going to speak about the issues and policies that are going to help improve people's lives. And he thinks that will work with the American public. He knows you got to bring them along and that's going to impact the people, some of the people who will be in the chamber or some of the people who will, are may not be in the chamber tonight, but like will be uh, voters or voting on these policies um, as members of the Senate or the House. You know, as it relates to members of the House and the Senate, who he wants to work with to address these problems and challenges, a lot of that is his demeanor, his tone, uh, his and his actions. You know, he's not going to attack the Republican Party. He's not going to attack individuals in the Republican Party. Uh, he's not going to, uh, you know, um, he's not going to criticize uh, anyone by name or criticize uh, even their policies. His, his, his objective is to lay out an agenda that he believes that there should be an opportunity to work together on, right? Democrats and Republicans, because the public supports it. And even if you look at issues that have been, you know, historically um, for some time more divisive, like immigration, um, there has been a agreement that there's a need to modernize the system, that the system's broken. What he's saying is, let's fix it. We can, we can help the dreamers. That's something we should have agreement on. Right. So he's going to try to lead and try to send a message to Republicans in Congress by uh, by laying out policies he thinks there should be agreement on, on to move forward on. And I guess it's safe to say the Speaker of the House won't be ripping up his speech behind him, um, as happened the last time we were in there for a speech. If that happens, we've done something very wrong. <laughs> I don't even think Kevin McCarthy, <laughs> wherever he's going to be sitting, is going to be ripping apart the speech. Uh, but but when you look at the at the agenda going forward, it, it is an incredibly ambitious effort to do what, what what you just said you would never actually come out and say, which is we're going to grow the size of government and we're going to raise taxes to pay for it. I mean that's that's the plan, and it's a and it's a pretty aggressive uh, plan. I mean I, I I read that President Biden is kind of thinking of himself along the lines of of an FDR, kind of a transformational of of, of president. Um, what, what, I mean, how, how do you, how do you, does he, does he view this as a, as, as a time to really change the way, not, not just, not just create some programs that are going to help people and have a difference in people's lives, but a chance to kind of fundamentally change things like, uh, inequality in the country, um, the, the, the role of government in our, in our lives. I think he really sees it. And we were talking about not exactly your question, because that would be kind of weird, but uh, a version of this earlier this morning with him. And what is this moment calling for, right? And his view is this moment is calling for something big. Um, and that what we've been through as a country uh, over the last few years, what's been exposed through that, some of that is division. And obviously, we need to keep working to bring the country together. But also, it's the need to do more to uh, prepare for pandemics, uh, the need to do more to ensure women can stay in the workforce, the need to do more to invest in industries that are going to have jobs of the future. And that, you know, this isn't, we can't afford not to go big in this moment and we need to be ambitious. And, you know, that's a part of uh, how he views this moment and also, uh, you know, a role he can push for. Now he's, he doesn't, his preference is not to do that 
in a way, he wa- his preference is to do that in a way, I should say, uh, where he is going to work with Democrats and Republicans to get that done. He's also not naive about how challenging that may be, but he's, he's certainly going to give it a try. And he thinks um, that's what the American people elected him to do. Jen, before we let you go, uh, it's a little window into the speech writing process. I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more. He's been through to so many of these. He's been in the room with uh, President Obama as he drafted yeah. versions of his. It, this has got to be, in some ways, he's given thousands of speeches across a political career, but none quite like this. This is different. Yeah. What, what's, the, what, what's, the, what's the ritual for him? What's the process for him? How much, how much input uh, is he seeking from others on this in, in, in delivering a, a pretty high-stakes speech? Yeah, you know, he's been working on it, Rick, for the last couple of weeks and has been working really closely with Mike Donilon, who, of course, is a longtime advisor to him. Also, Vinay Reddy, who is his chief speechwriter. And part of it starts with ideas and a discussion of what he wants to um, convey to the American public. But over the last several days, uh, last week and before, he's been really line editing drafts, right? Wanting more on some pieces, less on some pieces, wanting things to be explained more. And the way he works, which is true also when he's preparing for a speech or um, to convey something publicly, is he's not going to just take a set of words or talking points and just spit it out. He's been doing this a long time. He has lots of thoughts and views on a range of issues. Oftentimes he'll pull in a member of the policy team and want to discuss something more in depth. Maybe it's Jake Sullivan, maybe it's Susan Rice, maybe it's Brian Deese, so that he can really make sure he's clearly conveying um, where the policy is going and, and where it's headed. And sometimes it's a moment to have a policy debate. So that's all a part of his process of uh, really putting together a speech like the one he's going to deliver uh, tonight. And I will say, having done this with with a with President Obama in the former President Obama in the past, it is always the case. Maybe it wasn't for Trump. I don't know where the speech is far longer than it's ever going to be when it's delivered in the days leading up to the speech, right? Because there's so much every president wants to say. And as we've been talking about, they recognize, he recognizes, you know, this is a rare opportunity to speak directly to the American public. So the period over the last day has really been, or two, has really been figuring out where you can trim things down, still keep your meaning, still make the point, but, um, you know, get it to a place where it is, um, concise uh, while also being comprehensive and in the right tone you want to convey, you know, detailed without going down in the weeds. Uh, And that's a tricky balance, but that's what you work through over the the final days. Yeah. And so many presidents, uh, not the last one and not President Obama, but before then saw the State of the Union as something where, you know, or at least the cabinet, the rest of the administration, if it wasn't in the State of the Union, it meant it wasn't the top priority. Therefore, every damn program that was going to be looked at over the next year had to be mentioned. So I'm I'm thankful that that era is is gone. No, unless unless you want to just buckle up for a four hour speech, which (laughs) I don't I don't know that that your network is going to give us that time. But um, how how long is it going to be? What's your what's your over under? (laughs) Well, uh, I don't know if I can really make a bet on that until we're about an hour from the speech, uh, you know, around an hour, but, but we'll see what the final final product uh, looks like. And, you know, I think the point you raised is a really important one. Um, it's a huge moment, a huge uh, night and a big opportunity for President Biden, but um, it is not the totality of every issue he will focus on, work on, care about as president. Um, it's really meant to be a guidepost for the next year and an update for the American people um, in a in a very high profile way. 
All right, Jen Psaki, White House Press Secretary. Thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you guys so much. Great talking to you. Thanks, Great talking to you. And we'll be back in just a moment with a little more Powerhouse Politics. Hello, and welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. And, and Rick, this is, a, this is a, you know, it's a bittersweet moment. Uh, I, I, I wanted to, to tell you, I don't know if you've gotten the news yet, but this is actually the very last episode of Powerhouse Politics. This right now, you are, you are witnessing and listening to history in this moment. This podcast ends uh, as soon as we wrap up today. Now, we, you and I will be back. We, we, we've got some other uh, you know, podcast ideas uh, uh, that we're working on, some other projects. But this podcast, as entitled Powerhouse Politics Podcast, this is it. Where's the sweet part of the bittersweet? I, I'm, I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss this podcast, John. I will say I've I said this to people, and I've, I've, I'm sure I said it on this air. This this podcast has been a highlight of my professional life for uh, the last six years or so, and um, it, it's been just an enormous privilege and a pleasure to be able to, to share this space with you, John with Trevor behind the controls and, and the team and with the listeners out there. I, you know, the, 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 the connections that I feel like we've been able to make through this, the, the news we've been able to break, uh, the people that we have come into contact with as a result of this, it's, it's just consistently blown me away. And at this, uh, if you're listening to this, you're, you're one of our loyal subscribers and, uh, don't be sad for us be optimistic about the future because we'll have a lot more to say about that in, in the future. But this has been a, a tremendous space. It's been so much fun and just a, just a great place to, to do, the, do and share the work of journalism. No, I, I, first of all, the, the sweet is we've got a lot of great stuff coming down the pike. Uh, so we're going to be doing great stuff. But this podcast, I have to totally agree with you. The, 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 the best part about it is, is the listeners. We, there is a connection. And I have to tell you, Rick, um, you know, I can do all kinds of other, you know, major television stuff. You know, we've got, you know, World News Tonight, which is the, some days the most watched uh, broadcast on all of network television. All of our other broadcasts, Good Morning America, when I've gone out and moonlighted on other networks. The, 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 the feedback I get from this podcast in some ways is greater than all of that. I mean, I, you know, and, and there's nothing better than when somebody stops you somewhere and says, hey, I love the podcast. <laughs> you know, it's better than I saw you, you know, do something in a briefing room with the president or something because, yeah, whatever. But the podcast. You, you, I got you one know. time uh, uh, an overheard on the Acela. Uh, someone said, hey, <laughs> I, I heard your voice and I listened to your podcast. How about that? Right? How about that? How about that? I know there, there is, there's an intimacy to the, to the medium. Uh, you know, we, we did this, we launched this podcast back in 2015, not really knowing what we were doing in case that wasn't obvious. We just figured let's talk about politics like we do all the time. And, you know, the opportunity that it provides to talk to interesting people, to open up our notebooks, to share a little bit of the inside story, and particularly over this last uh, crazy and, and, and terrible and terrifying year. It's been a, a solace to me and to, to be able to, to bring this every week and to think about this, this little product every week. And the opportunity to, to, to just check in, John, with, with you and with our colleagues at ABC. We've had so many of them that were, that were generous with their time uh, and with their reporting and with their feedback. To, to, these, are, these are team efforts. 
and the the team was was able to deliver something really special, and uh, it, it made me proud every week. No, it's it's been great to have some of our of our ABC colleagues. Uh, Terry Moran has been as 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 been a regular over over the last several years. Mary Bruce, obviously, Mary Alice Parks. We had Rachel Scott on just the other day. Uh, you know, it's great to it's great to be able to touch base with our colleagues. But think about some of the people that have, that have that have come, and that many people heard for the first time for the first time, Rick, on this podcast. I mean, I don't want to say it was just this podcast, but you know, I mean, when you think about it, Mayor Pete, nobody knew who Mayor Pete was. He appears on Powerhouse Politics podcast. And within a week or two, he's like the top of the field of the Democratic. Uh, I mean, I'm just saying, just saying. I don't know. Maybe there was something else going on. I don't know. Um, we, uh, you know, uh, Brad Raffensperger, the uh, Secretary of State in Georgia, when we booked him, look what happened to Raffensperger, man. The guy became kind of a national figure. I mean, we had Anthony Fauci. Did anybody know who Anthony Fauci was before he appeared in the Powerhouse Politics podcast, Rick? Uh, maybe. Maybe a few people. Well, maybe, 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 maybe a couple people knew about him. I don't know, but uh, no, I mean, like, like we look, I, and and you know, our two-part interview with Ty Cobb when he uh, and not the baseball he, player the, we're talking about, not the baseball the, player, yeah, yeah. the lawyer talking about when he lost his job in the in the in between, he had to call us back <laughs> to tell us what actually happened. That was because great. He, uh, he, he was he was done. We got hung up on by Newt Gingrich. Oh, Newt Gingrich we, hanging up on us. That was tr- yeah. But no, but 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 Ty Cobb, Ty Cobb, we interviewed. And uh, he's, he was the White House counsel. It's in the midst of all the Mueller investigation, all of that. Really consequential time to be talking to the White House counsel. And you're right. We interviewed him. And, like, just after we finished, the guy got fired. So we had to call him back. And, and the good thing is he took our call. And, I, and, and that's been great. People have, been, people have taken the call. They've taken the call, and you know people. You know people in the in the in, in the Hollywood sphere, like Mandy Patinkin, that was a personal favorite, and and, and Carl Reiner. Uh, it, it, look, for, for for all of it, it was it was a pleasure. You know, this is this is what we do. This is what I do. This is what I love to do. Talk about politics, and uh, to be able to do it in this space again. Not just you know, if you've been listening to these episodes, and I know I know some of you from. You know, from the Acela train, from all different parts of my life, who have been loyal listeners throughout, I want to thank you, thank you, thank you for being part of this journey with us. And, and, and I'm I'm so psyched that I get to correct you one last time, Rick. Uh oh, and it's not a prediction. Uh, oh, okay. we, we we actually never interviewed Carl Reiner, but we did interview Rob Reiner. Wow. Now Carl Reiner would have been that would have been a booking. That would have been a booking. That would have been. But Rob Reiner was fantastic. That was uh, that was good. As I think we we made him do a couple, you know, meathead things at the. That was good. He appreciated it. Yeah, I think he always, you know, somebody like that appreciates that you you bring up the role he played, you know, forty years ago and has been, yeah. <laughs> you know, done, done all the stuff he's done after. Uh, no, but look, this is great. And and Rick, I, I you know, you and I, uh, you and I talk politics all the time. Um, I've learned a lot from you. You are the best political director in the business. Even if uh, even if that means your uh, your kids think you're my boss, uh, you know I, 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 I still think that's a great thing, um, and I've loved doing this with you. Uh, Trevor has been a uh, you know a, a fantastic uh, chief executive, uh, senior Uber producer for this uh, for this podcast. Uh, Avery Miller was so good at this podcast that uh, that they stole her away at CBS, and she now works over there. Uh, Adia Robinson has been a f- phenomenal uh, addition here in the home stretch. Um, so, uh, so I think on that note, we can just kind of like we can drop the mic, right? And we'll be back. What do you say, Rick? Does that make sense? 
Let's just do it. I think that's it. Let's let's put a bow on it and uh, and, uh, and and tell everyone to tune in for more uh, very very soon. Yes, watch this space and especially uh, to our listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening, and thank you for the feedback. We'll see you again. And I'm I'm, I'm going to hang up on you now because I am truly deeply disappointed in the whole way you've handled this. I'm I'm just terribly disappointed. Goodbye. Well, there you go, Rick. There we have it. 